So um, I'm excited to have you guys both with me. Uh, Martin and Rob have been friends of grace for quite a while. Martin has been uh, coaching and mentoring us for really a couple of decades, helping us to uh, navigate what it looks like to be a word and spirit church and uh, been a mentor to me. Rob's been hanging out with us for the last couple of years and has helped us to uh, really think through and be much more effective at some deep soul care and helping people to find inner healing. Uh, both guys are prolific authors, speakers, leaders of leaders, and uh, just good friends. So I'm just looking forward to the conversation. So I guess I would start with just, uh, how are you guys doing? Everybody healthy? How are your families? Well, mine lives uh, various places around uh, our continent and they're all in lockdown. My youngest daughter had another set of twins. So four children at 30 months or less. And so they've just had to be in absolute lockdown, which works because both of them get to work from home. So it's been- uh, So have you seen the twins? The no. newer, newer twins? No, the new ones. Oh, wow. That'd be hard. No, first set of twins are boys and now girls. And so they obviously have their hands full, but everybody's doing well. And we're doing well too. Uh, my kids are home. And so uh, my youngest is 17. My oldest is 24. And so I have uh, four kids. They're all home. Everybody's healthy. We're all doing well. So, right. So Rob recently released a book called Calm in the Storm. Uh, there'll be an image of it that'll come up on your screen here in just a moment. And uh, I would just first say it's a great book for this season to help to navigate this season, to think through what God might be up to. That book really became part of the catalyst for me wanting to have this conversation with Martin and Rob. So I'm sure we'll reference elements that book. And before the this, this service ends, we'll make sure we show you the book one more time and maybe even get you a link so that you can order that book. Um, I think I just want to start with what has the Lord been teaching you personally in this season of the pandemic and COVID-19? Uh, well, I'll start uh, and then uh, Martin can chime in. But uh, for me personally, um, it's been a time of hard work in the beginning and then rest uh, in the beginning. You know, I mean, I sat back and I thought, wow, I got everything canceled under the sun, you know, and I make most of my money actually from doing conferences and selling books at conferences. And everything got canceled from after the first weekend in March, right now, all the way through July. And um, we'll see what happens for the rest of the fall. But um, I started to realize, yeah, you know, there's not going to be enough money around here to pay the bills. So, you know, my first reaction was a little bit fearful. And then I thought, you know, you do what you can do, right? And so I thought I'm going to try some live streams. So I started doing live stream conferences. And then, you know, I realized the fear in the air was so strong with this COVID-19 over sickness, over death, over finances, the economic realities. We're talking about more than a quarter of Americans out of work. And I, too, was feeling that. So then I started praying, thinking, and fasting and writing into this concept of, you know, how God can redeem a crisis like this to advance his kingdom. So anyways, it's been fruitful, productive. Now I'm moving to a time of rest. And a lot of June, I'm going to be kind of resting. So There's kind of an irony when you think about how you start your book with the fact that you were in a plane that was about to crash and you continued to read your book and didn't seem to have any fear, but there's a pandemic and 
fears, like I said, so I don't know why I find that to be sort of ironic. I think I would be a little more fearful if I were on the plane. Well, you know, and, and, I say, and I say this in the book, Doug, but the reality is when our roots are deeply rooted in eternity, then, right. you know, when you face death, it's not as scary as facing the reality of living without when you've used, when you've been used to having enough. And so, you know, yeah, it's just a different type of fear, but yeah. I'm certainly not afraid to die. All right. Martin, how about you? What's God been showing you personally? Well, I started this, this uh, season in a very different way than most. Uh, Rob and I both worked in the doctoral program here in New York and then left immediately and we were scheduled to do a graduate level course with 50 pastors in Vietnam and ended up getting stuck in Hong Kong. And uh, and then both of us got sick in Vietnam. Rob's sort of stayed from his throat to the top of his head. Mine ended up going other places as well. So at the end of uh, February and early March, I ended up hospital in Perth, Western Australia, four and a half days in ICU, eight days in the hospital, and ended up, they couldn't figure out what was going on. It had hit all of my organs. Um, it was pre the virus, but they knew something else was wrong. They ended up diagnosing me with uh, an odd form of an Asian viral sepsis, which in Australia, they said less than half people who get that end up ever leaving the hospital. So I ended up being sick before it was invoked to be sick before anybody knew about it. It was a different thing. And so then I had to figure out, as somebody who wasn't feeling well, how to fly 30 hours home. So when I got home, I was in recovery for a long time and have a severe compromised immune system. So I, Rob is my only external connection from my house. Uh, if I didn't see Rob, I wouldn't see see anyone, talk to anyone, anything on any given week. So it's been interesting. I'm not a fear-based person, never have been. It's just not something that clicks for me. But in listening to people, the fear base is probably the highest thing people talk about. The other thing that's been really useful is listening to leaders uh, globally and how many of them have been able to identify why this throws them so much they talk about the small gods of their life that they sometimes qualify as idols or often just reference them as small gods of how it affects uh, their security, first of all, but also their comfort. And they, right. they've been quite articulate about that sort of fear, comfort, security. And it's forced me to think through if those aren't mine, then what? What might my key issues be as we go through this? It's been it's been a really good time to reflect because we can't go anywhere, especially in New York. It's a it's a very different thing living in New York. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that Rob talks about in the book that I, gave me language that I'm not sure I I had before that was just the way God is using this as a sifting season. You, yeah. you you can't help but be stripped of certain things that you used to rely on for comfort. And I actually even think with the fear that you're talking about, we tend to go somewhere with that. The question is, are we going to the right places? So it just, it really is like an incubator, a perfect storm to, to figure out some of these things that we've been relying on, not even realizing we're relying on, and they get stripped away. It's a, it's a great season of sifting 
uh, to use Rob's language in the in the new book. I wanted to give you guys a chance to speak about what you think God is trying to say to the church. And I know you address this in the book too, Rob, but I think, what, what do you think God wants to say to us as the church? Not Grace Community Church necessarily, but the church. And then I would love for you to even speak to Grace in particular, you know, just because you know our body. Um, well, I, I do think when you think about the history of revival, Doug, it always seems to occur during times of difficulty, pain, suffering, uh, persecution, and famine. And so I just think this is a tremendous opportunity. And I obviously talk about this in the book. I think we're standing on the precipice of an unprecedented kingdom opportunity for renewal. Um, but... We've got to do the right things to get there. You know, that's really the key. You know, you don't get to choose in life if you suffer. You really only get to choose in life how you suffer. So it seems to me this is an opportunity for us to take advantage of the suffering and grow through it rather than waste it. But when I think about the history of the church, I mean, think about, for example, China. You know, the missionaries leave China because of the communist takeover, and there's a tremendous amount of fear, and oh, how's the church going to fare? And then we go back in years and years, decades later, and we discover the church has exploded. That You know, it's just it, it just blew up with growth, right? You go to Vietnam, and uh, the Vietnam War, the Christian Missionary Alliance, our tribe, was involved there, had missionaries there. But again, we ended up having to evacuate. We had a couple of missionaries get martyred. We leave and everybody's like, oh, well, when we go back, what's it going to happen during this crisis? We go back in and the church has absolutely once again exploded with growth. You think about the book of Acts, same thing, you know, when the persecution strikes, Acts 9, they get shuffled, they get scattered, and all of a sudden the church explodes with growth. And all these people get exposed to the gospel that wouldn't have gotten exposed if they had hunkered down in Jerusalem. But because they're scattered and because they're purified in the scattering, all of a sudden now there's a, a fresh release of the spirit in the world around them. So for, for me, I'm, I'm wrapping up my 33rd year as a grad school professor, which seems really strange. It's more than half a lifetime. I now have the distinction of being the longest serving faculty member at our institution. Not the oldest, I'll clarify that, just the longest serving. Uh, but because of that, I've gotten to do a number of longer term interim uh, pastorates in churches in various countries and in various states. And very often in the midst of that, someone will start to say, or there'll be a movement of people going, this feels like revival, like something's happening. You know, we're in between and we're trusting God and we've gone through a hard time. And they say, this feels like revival to go, no, no, we, we've, got, we've got to clarify terminology. Number one, the spirit begins with just a refreshing. And so I think this is a moment to go, when we can be who we are at our best, what does that refreshing of God's spirit look like? The second stage appears to be a renewal. It, it, very often that starts with renewing the church for its distinct person, purpose. And then revival comes when it begins to affect the culture around us. And it's been a long time since we've had a kind of awakening that really affected the culture. Yeah. And so when I was doing graduate studies, advanced graduate studies, I, I actually did a long-term study on sort of the history of preaching and communication in eras of revival. 
And one of the things we noticed was how, how often it happened and what cut it short. And I actually flew down to Kentucky to meet with some of the leaders of what had been in the 1970s, the beginnings of what was called the Asbury Revival. And so I interviewed a couple of the pastors of the larger churches. They were all now bishops and places of influence in their in their uh, denominations and organizations. I'll never forget one of the guys who was now a bishop. He was one of the pastors there. He said, I feel like we cut the revival short. We assumed that in revival, you didn't have to disciple people. And he goes, even in revival, you have to disciple people. So it's that ongoing mission of God in our lives, not just how we feel. That's part of it. But if it's going to move beyond the church, it's going to be because people are discipled on mission and they take the best of what God has given them and take it out so that it begins to impact the world around them. That's where we find ourselves now. It seems, especially in the American context, but well beyond that as well. And so I I think, Doug, you know, this is the time for us to get into alignment, right? It's often during these times of crisis that the cracks in our interior life begin to manifest. They begin to show up. It's, you know, in times like this that you start to tremble with fear. And all of a sudden you realize, well, I had a few more attachments to worldly comforts than I ever realized. And this is a time for purification, which really is what renewal is all about. When it starts in the interior world, I'm bringing my life into alignment with God. That's really what's happening. That's repentance, right? Necessary part of all renewal. It's kind of the beginning phase. But then there has to be a filling, not just an emptying, but a filling that leads to mobilization, And that mobilization on mission is critical if the church is going to actually make an impact on the moral and social fiber of a community. And uh, it seems to me many times revivals are localized, if you will, to use terminology. He was talking about the renewal is localized. And then it doesn't ever make its way into the community, what I would call an awakening, what he called revival, same idea. I think there has to be, when you look at the first and second great awakening, it changed society. That's the difference. And what I'm hoping for in this is that this could be the birthing grounds of another awakening, that it actually changes us first. And then after it changes us, it could actually make its way into the community. The community is desperate for hope in the midst of all this stuff. And obviously with the civil unrest that's taking place and the racism and all that stuff too, there's all this garbage going on in our society right now. I do think it's a time when the church, if it gets aligned, could bring a message of hope like never before. And if you look historic, if you look historically at these, Doug, in the season of renewal, like what's the phrase that's used across the U.S. right now? It's when, when we get to go back to normal, when we get to go back to the way things were. It's quite possible from God's perspective right now, that's not what he has in mind. This this is a time of dealing with those cracks in the soul. This is the time of sifting. Most of those movements started with just raw confession of people in the church. That's where often these started. Uh, Unapologetic (laughs) repentance and confession. That's probably a necessary step when you look at the history of renewal and possibly what's necessary for the church of all of its brand and shades 
and sizes and names to begin to happen for us, that there is just this emptying of all the leftover stuff that we're hoping to just move past, probably time to dig deeper. And so that, so one of the things you say in your book that you just referenced, Rob, is that crisis doesn't create inner problems, crisis reveals inner problems. So it seems to me, part of what you guys are both alluding to is that the, the very crisis could bring us to the place of an understanding of those areas we do need to repent of, those areas of dependence on everything other than Jesus. It's Jesus and this and Jesus and that as opposed to, you know, so there's just this beautiful opportunity for a higher level of self-awareness and a higher level of spiritual awareness and, and really digging into, you know, why, why am I unable to find any peace in the midst of this storm? Well, it must be I've been finding my peace from everywhere else because I still got Jesus. Right. But I have no peace. So it's just a, it's a great learning opportunity. Huh? Yeah, and one of the things I would say, Doug, on this lack of peace, anxiety, right? Uh, anxiety has become the number one mental health problem in North America. More people are on anxiety medication than any other form of medication in the U.S. and Canada right now. It's a giant issue, right? But I've discovered anxiety is a gift to me. Anxiety reveals when I'm out of alignment with God. All anxiety does for me is show me that something's off in my soul. And it makes me dive deeper and go, what's underneath that? And helps me to resolve that and repair that inner wall so that the peace of Christ can be uh, returned again to my inner being. Jesus isn't nervous. He hasn't been nervous in the last couple of millennial. Today's not his day to be nervous. This crisis isn't the time he's nervous. So, you know, he promised us peace that passes all human understanding. When I'm in alignment with him, peace comes. It's a heavenly peace. When I lose it, that's because there's something out of alignment in my inner being that I got to go after. Right. So one of the things you say in the book, uh, right at the very beginning, which I have, I love, um, it tells me that you're not trying to sell American self-help books, but you basically come right out of the gate and say, uh, if you're preaching that Jesus will calm the storm, you're probably not teaching this passage biblically, for one thing, but he doesn't promise to always calm the storm. Sometimes he does, but sometimes the storm is the gift as well, is kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah, and it's true, isn't it? I mean, he's promised us a life of hardship in some ways. He promised us if we followed him, there'd be persecution. In this world, you will have trouble. Paul said anyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. So, you know, if you're going to stand out for Jesus, there's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some opposition. There's going to be some difficulty. I always amazed that we expect a life of ease when we follow the God of the cross. That just doesn't make any sense to me. So if you're going to follow the God of the cross, he's going to lead you into some pretty tight spaces. So what is the promise then? The promise, the promise is that he'll I'm gonna be make with it go us. Away. And the promise is he'll give us peace. He did promise that. Even in the conversation with the disciples, he's leaving. He's about to be crucified, and they're troubled. And he looks at them and says, listen, I'm going to give you peace, but not as the world gives peace. I'm going to give you a peace that comes from heaven that trumps all of the circumstances of life. He never promised he would avoid trouble. As a matter of fact, the same conversation, he promises that are all going to be persecuted. And of course, they all die for their faith, except for John, who dies in prison for his faith. But they all die for their faith. So... I don't know why we'd expect a life of comfort. I think we should expect a life with the comforter, but not a life of comfort. 
But Doug, even even the imagery of Jesus calming the storm, he was asleep. They were they were just beside themselves. And his invitation, if you look at the boat that they would have had on the Sea of Galilee, he was probably in the front napping on a cushion and invites them to come to be with him. It's the being with him is where he gives the peace, not the kind of peace that's the absence of any sort of trial or difficulty. Come on, those of us who've walked with him for some time recognize that. Yeah. It's not the absence of bad that makes it good. It's his very presence. He will be with you. That's his promise. And the promise of the unshakable kingdom. Right before that storm, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God, which is why they don't need to be afraid, which is why he ch- he challenges them and says, why are you so afraid? Which is a shocking statement. I mean, a bunch of grown fishermen are scared to death over a storm. I mean, how often do you think these guys were scared to death over a storm? Probably not often, but they're scared. It's so terrifying. And he looks at them and goes, what's with you? Why are you afraid? And honestly, you got to read the text and go, What's with you? Why do you think we shouldn't be afraid? And his answer really is, I've been teaching you about the kingdom. I told you to have a small beginning, but an eternal impact. I told you that it would not be defeated. It would prevail. Your roots have not sunk deep enough into this eternal kingdom. You're still too tied to the temporary. All right. Which is really all of our problem and what we get out of this kind of season is an opportunity to think eternally, to put our minds ahead. We talk about that a lot. We've talked about peace, ironically, quite a, quite a bit in the last few weeks and trying to just navigate this season for sure. So uh, one of the things you say in the book also is uh, when we're t- you're talking about the storms, you're talking about the problems, you make a statement, you even say, I'm not trying to be prophetic, but it appears maybe you were more prophetic than you even realized, but you said, I think it's going to get worse. Uh, you wrote that before all of this uh, the the racial injustice, the the murders, uh, just all that's happened over the last four or five weeks, and now the the riots. So, uh, do you feel like that's even part of the? It's yeah. going to get worse. I do, and I think what happens, Doug, when I made this statement, which I didn't make this one in the book, but I'll make a corollary statement in, in the book. I make this statement that you know when when there's crisis, it reveals the interior cracks of our soul. I believe that. I also believe it. it reveals the interior cracks of our society. So it's not just our personal soul, it's our societal soul, if you will. It's our corporate state of unwholeness that get revealed during times of crisis. And so, yeah, I mean, domestic violence is tremendously on the rise. Uh, Here in New York, I mean, every time they post something on the COVID stuff, they end up doing domestic violence stuff. So is it surprising that out of this would come the injustices and that would become a focal point for people? They feel so hurt over the injustice of racism, et cetera. No, it's not surprising. I think it was probably fairly predictable, you know, Um, I don't. I don't think it's going to get better quickly. Mm-hmm. I think I we're starting to see something that may get worse before it gets better. So you talk just a, for a real brief moment in the book about justice and the gospel. 
And you make the point that there's been seasons where the church has been all about justice and forgot about the gospel. And there's been seasons where it's been all about the gospel and neglected justice. And there was, while you didn't spend a lot of time on it, what I felt was there's sort of this cry to say, it's got to be both. Do you want to unpack that just a little bit? Yeah, so I, I think it goes back to the kingdom, right? So the kingdom of God is the reversal of everything that went wrong with the world when sin entered the world. Or I'll put it in a positive light. It's the restoration of the way things were supposed to be before sin entered the world. That's really what the kingdom is. So yeah, it involves reconciliation to God through faith in Jesus Christ. We repent of our sins. We receive forgiveness. We enter the family. We get the promise of heaven. But Jesus told us to pray the invasion of heaven on earth. When he comes proclaiming the gospel, he always comes demonstrating it with power. So you know, he heals the sick, he casts out demon, he helps the oppressed, he feeds the hungry. Why? Because all that stuff, the injustice, the racism, the, the broken relationship with God and others, demonization, addiction, all of it entered the world with sin. And if he's the Lord over sin, and he can forgive sin. He's also the Lord over the effects of sin. And he can reverse the effects of sin. So I think it's all part of the message of the kingdom. My thing is so often the pendulum in the church swings, right? So we go, oh, you know, the church missed the gospel, meaning what we meant as evangelicals, people are sinners. They need to repent, put their faith in Jesus and get saved, meaning they need to be forgiven and into relationship with God. But then my generation which you're part of, a lot of us miss the, the justice stuff, right? So the next generation comes along and goes, oh my gosh, you know, you totally missed this part and we emphasize justice, but we lose the parts we did get right and we sort of disown those pieces. It would be great if the church in this season could own the whole gospel in the truest sense of the gospel of the kingdom of God, which is the reversal of everything that went wrong with the world when sin entered the world and fight for the whole kingdom, not just a little segment of it. Now let's bring this into society and culture for just a minute, because now the word is social justice and it's, it's a great word, but if we go back to the mid 19th century and well into the 20th century, it wasn't social justice. They were into social reform. Social reform's quite different. Social reform identifies key issues to be addressed and then creates steps and stages of how to actually address it. So if you go back and look at a number of the great wins, let's just take the American culture, but it's gone around the world. If you look at the things that have made such a difference, you can start in, in the mid 19th century with slavery. It was, it was one of those social issues that people wanted to address. Whole denominations were formed over this. Whole denominations even split over this. But it was social reform. The, uh, the women's movement, the, uh, the women's movement of to vote, not the women's movement of the 70s, but women with the right to vote. Uh, when you look at education for all, when you looked at voter privilege, when you can walk through, you can identify very easily about nine or 10 of these that really changed our entire, and our entire culture, but they were all, they weren't social justice issues. I'll distinguish them in just a minute. They were social reform. 
they knew what the issue was. They pretty much tackled them one at a time with steps and stages of how to do it. What we seem to have now is the cry for social justice, which is great. However, we're not making progress. Again, that's why these same issues keep popping up in our culture um, that are dreadful. And every time we go, how, how many more of these do we have to have before something changes? It's because we're not actually doing social reform. We're not identifying, here's one key thing that can be addressed. Here's how we're going to rally people to do it. Here are the steps and stages. It worked well for our country from the mid-19th century well into the 20th. It's time to reclaim part of that. Otherwise, we're just voices, sometimes loud voices, crying out. But everybody's crying out, and there's not much really happening. And it's time for some things to really change. For sure. So you both have a pretty good... uh, understanding of our local context, Grace Community Church, you know about our church, you've spent time with our church. Do you have any thoughts, any words of wisdom to us as a church in particular? Um, Yep, let me start with this, Doug. When uh, one of the keys of the question of where do you start is it's time to enter the world of other people. Enter the world of people who aren't like you. Enter the world of people who don't have faith, people who are from a different economic generation, um, color and culture. You, there's, a, there's a spectrum here. Enter the world of people who aren't like you. I, just, I released a thing late last week for our doctoral program. Our doctoral program is located in New York, so in and of itself, that makes it very culturally diverse, but it's also global. And so for every 100 students we have in the doctoral program, they come from 40 countries or culture groups. So I just sent out a thing to which makes everybody want to study us because we're the most culturally diverse of any doctoral program we like ours in in Canada or the U.S. So I just sent a thing out and said, remember what we talk about. Enter the world of other people. Remember the 100 students, 40 culture groups. Remember what you went through in those courses when you became a cohort together. Identify the people who were part of your cohort. Contact them. Understand what they're going through. That's all a part of how do you enter the world of other people. I actually talked about this the last time I was with you at Grace. By the way, I kind of miss being with you in person. Always feels like home when I'm there. And this uh, it's great to see your amazing face, Doug. But I sort of miss being with the people as well. But this is also where you you begin to trust. Hey, just for the record, I'm tired of seeing my own face. I've been I've been on camera so much. I'm like, oh my goodness. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we'll leave Meg out of this one as well. But this is also where you you have the right then to speak truth to each other because you've got a connection point. So Grace, here, let me talk to you for just a minute. Um, I love to tell the story of Grace Church. You've you've demonstrated something that is rare across our country. Has it always been perfect? You know the answer to that. Is there still a ways to go? You know the answer to that. But the fact that you do what you do in this mosaic is unique in churches across our continent, not just our country. And so celebrate it, yes, but then let's take it another level. 
uh, let's figure out if we can do this well, can we actually begin to serve as a bit of a pattern and a model, if you will, not just for Detroit, not just for Michigan, not just for the U.S. or Canada and the U.S. This can become a global thing because it's, again, more rare than you can ever remember. And we need healthy models out there. So let me give you not a prophetic word, but a really good word. You ready? Begin with the end in mind. That's uh, not a new concept. It's been around for a long time. Book I wrote 15 years ago about how to have the family you've always wanted. We said, begin with the family. What do you want your family to look like? Stephen Covey, of course, made good money on uh, his seven habits of highly effective people. Begin with the end in mind. So let me just say a word to Grace Church. In this time, don't go back to the way it was. It was good, but don't go back there. Identify what it could actually look like if you said, God helping us. Here's what this church could look like in a place like Detroit. God helping us, this is the impact we can make in our community and in our region and in the city and then take it from there globally. Begin with the end in mind. Don't just go back to as good as it was. Identify before God, what could that look like if we actually took on the principles of the kingdom, loved the way Jesus asked us to love, interact and trust each other the way he said, what could that look like even at Grace Church? It's good. And uh, so Doug, I'll throw in this, uh, you know, it takes two healthy people to have a healthy relationship. Uh, so this begins with the inner journey. Uh, before you can even make a healthy outer journey, there has to be the inner journey. So again, this is one of those times where I think when you see the cracks, it's time to do the deep dive. You see the cracks, they show up like anger. You know, I, I said this in the book, you know, Jen came to me one day in the midst of this thing and, and she says to me, are, are you irritated with me? The answer is no, I'm not irritated with you, but I am irritated. Why am I irritated? What's underneath that? What's underneath that for me was the stress of the season, the economic loss. Listen, my dad has AML. I may never see him again because of this thing. And I got to tell you, that brings me great grief. You know, I said in the book, COVID-19 is not just a, a, a killer, it's a thief. It is robbing us of all kinds of things. What we used to call normal, it's robbing us of the opportunity to socially interact. It's robbing us of privileges and freedoms that we used to have. And so there's a lot of inner stuff that starts to get exposed. Make sure in this season, as a church, you're dealing with that. Some of that's going to show up in relationship. You're going to have relational conflicts and annoyances with one another. Deal with the inner person first. And then, you know, when you deal with the out, outer side, you know, when you're dealing with it relationally, uh, as much as possible, try to reflect Jesus, who was full of truth and full of grace. He didn't have a balance between truth and grace. He didn't have a tension between truth and grace. He was always full of truth and always full of grace. Every conversation he has, he's 100% full of truth, but he's 100% full of grace. And I think we've got to approximate that. We're never going to do as well as Jesus, obviously, but I want to consciously think 
when I go to engage in a difficult conversation, whether it's relationally in a home because of the stress or racially divided, I want to have a conversation that is going to be as far as I can, full of truth, full of grace. I really appreciated, Rob, when you uh, talked about grief and you said we need to grieve. Uh, that would be something that would have been easy to write the book that you wrote and kind of miss that. But it takes me to so much of what Martin has taught us, that idea that, that we're not going to be healthy unless we are honest about what we're really feeling. So the I'm irritated. Well, that's great. Now we know we're irritated. What's where is it coming from? What's the, like doing the good soul work of identifying, you know, Martin's here, he talks to us all the time, especially us men, about our limited ability to identify emotions other than anger and arousal. We got those two figured out, but let's go to all the other emotion. This is just, again, like the incubator to bring forward so many of those emotions. But if we don't do the good soul work of identifying them, and where is that coming from? Why am I so upset about this? And, you know, they're just, it's just a good season for us to do that good soul work. Hey, we don't have much time, but one of the things I did want to give you a chance to talk about is just globally, you guys are really around the world dealing with uh, the church around the world, and it's a beautiful thing to see. I had a great chance to travel with uh, Martin in France when his book came out in French and, and uh, on mentoring, and that was awesome just to see your influence around the world. But what are you seeing globally that you think we should hear about? Let you start, go ahead. The implications of the current trifecta. I mean, we've got uh, the virus, we've got the economics, and now in America, and it's not unique in America, we have the social injustice issues that are staring us in the face. Um, th those are all true globally. Uh, Doug, if you've not read or you people haven't ever looked at uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s talk on the triplets of evil, it's it's a worthwhile read from, you know, decades ago. And he identifies the, th the, the three triplets of evil are um, uh, racism and and poverty and war. And he addresses them well with pretty good outcomes to them. So with the global pandemic, it's way more than just individualistic. I mean, it, it's affecting places that never even hit the news. You know, what, what's happening in out-of-the-way places that we know people, it's, it's affecting entire uh, small cities. Um, what's happening right now with a number of our people in Brazil, they just they can't keep up, but they don't, they don't have fresh water to wash their hands and the, the, the eyes and other things. And so they're they're really going through it at just a really high level, different than ours, because they don't have the same resources. Um, and listening to it, I hear it every place. Um, we have both an advantage and perspective and a disadvantage of living here. Uh, New York is still a tough place. Um, when I interact with people globally and across the across North America, I say. In the, uh, in the first 10 days of the lockdown, I had 13 friends who had the virus. Now, for one person, that's a lot. So I'm connected with 14 doctors, physicians globally, praying with them, asking them for stuff, just being in touch with them. So let me give a final word for you all. Let's just start with the most repeated frame like this of Scripture, fear not. 
And if you can't avoid it, then dig deep of what are the roots of this thing? How do I address it? If you're connected to the God of the universe, fear not. The second one is we talk about our faith. Let's transition that into an active faith. An active trust is far different than a set of belief systems where you actively trust him to take care of everything. And then let me end with a a, a really significant contemporary theologian, John Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi uh, has a new song that he's just beginning to put out. He's asked people to interact with them. And the, the line is, when you can't do what you used to do, do what you can do. He goes, look, my whole life's different. But he makes meals. He's got community people around him. He's raising money to feed people who need fed. He does part of the cooking. They have pictures of him scrubbing pots and pans. He goes, I can't do what I used to do, but I can do this. So let's take the big picture and bring it down to every individual life. What can you do in this moment in history for the cause of Christ and the betterment of humanity? What can you do? Take care of that. And uh, I would say, Doug, um, as I've traveled the world, I've seen an increase in spiritual hunger. That's been a good thing, right? So there's been more people that are uh, sort of open to the things of the Spirit and hungry for more of God in their life. I think that's been a, a part of the season of preparation. I think for us to move it past simply chills and thrills, where the Holy Spirit somehow or another makes us feel a little bit better, to actually moving into some sort of renewal, we're going to have to empty the suitcase of the soul. We've got to get to some of these cracks. They have to be addressed. Think of a house. If the house has a faulty foundation, no matter how good the builder and how good the building material, the house is in jeopardy. And the reality is if we don't address some of the cracks in the foundation of our soul, no matter how much you have an encounter with God, it can't sustain his presence and you can't carry it into the places that are desperate for him in our generation in this season. So we've got to deal with the interior world. And I think now's an opportunity for us to do that. So I feel like the church and the, and the world has been being prepared for hunger. And now is an opportunity where I think God wants to redeem this crisis to truly advance his kingdom. Not only are the personal issues being exposed, but the societal issues are being exposed. And I think when the church deals with her personal issues, she'll be prepared to have a voice of hope for the societal issues. And I think that's really what could come out of this season if we get our, 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 our ducks in a row, so to speak, if we get aligned with the Holy Spirit. That's good. That's great. So I'm going to read, uh, this is the very end of your book. Uh, it's just a great question, and I just think it's a question we can all hear. It says, is Jesus your first love, your central priority, your heart's loyalty? Does Jesus have your fullest attention, your deepest affection, and your wholehearted surrender? Great questions for us to uh, hang on to and keep reminding ourselves in this season. Martin, can I get you just to pray for us and pray for grace? And- Absolutely. God, one of the amazing things about you is you not only are the God of the universe, you're the father of our souls. 
you can keep everything in perspective. And as Rob reminds us, you're not nervous. None of the Trinity are, are nervous at this stage. But do you long for us to connect deeply with you, to represent you, yeah. and to take your very presence and power into the very places we can take it. Thank you. Thank you for Grace Church. Look forward to the next time can be there with you all. But now that you've done a good thing, do a great thing. Yeah. Take them to a whole nother level that possibly they have never conceptualized or at least have no idea the steps and stages to get there. Give them almost a social architecture approach to go, here's how we adjust, update the culture of Grace Church so it's transformative, not just for those who come, but for the people around us, small circle, larger circle, and then globally. Mm -hmm. You've given them the heart. You've given them the resources. You've given them a great mission. May they come back to you again and again for your empowerment to take them to that next level. May every individual identify, here's the cracks in my own soul that still need to be addressed. I wish they weren't still there, but they are. May we wholeheartedly deal with them. May you use Grace Church in the way that you have dreamed for decades. May the next couple decades become the reality of that dream through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Yeah. Good to be with you. Great to hang out with you. Wish I could hang out with you live and in person. Soon. Figure out how to stop this. Soon.